podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Nation, Trace Trelko here. Welcome to the Sons of UCF Live this Thursday. The Big Cat is hungry and coming to UCF. What is your biggest question mark on offense going into spring camp? And the Knights are down two guys going into tonight's men's basketball game at ECU. We've got the latest on that. Let's welcome in the Sons of UCF, Adam and Mike. Two guys who look like they may be tied up in the closet. Guys, blink twice if you need some help. I can't see. I have this light in my eye, uh, so I got nothing. I do want to let you guys know, unfortunately, this will probably uh, be my last show with you guys. Um, I've been hired on as an analyst with Gus Malzahn. So uh, I'm one of the other the other 13 analysts. So I will be leaving to be the analyst for the analyst that analyzes uh, how many analysts we have on staff. So I'm going to miss you all dearly. But, you know, Gus calls. You got to answer, right? Hey, that just means bigger squares for me and Trace. You're out of here. That, there's only two squares on the screen. Hey, yeah. more FaceTime for us, right, Trace? Well, based on what I heard at the end of the Sons of UCF podcast, I may be traded to the Denver alumni <laughs> chapter, so I might not be here soon either. Uh, so I'm just glad to see you caught your breath after that run you did during your walk and talk <laughs> a couple of days ago. Which, by the way, I have now been upstaged once again by UCF's own Sammy Kincaid, who was doing hacky sack with UCF baseball players for her latest. I've been doing interviews while doing hacky sack. Uh, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, step your game up. Get on a skateboard. Do something different now. <laughs> yeah, that'll be the one and only time I am on a skateboard. We coming to you just one hour before tip-off between UCF men's basketball at ECU and a couple of late scratches. So we're going to have a guest on from ECU. But let's tell you this news first. Mark Daniels on UCF Night Talk saying two scratches for the game. C.J. Walker, who we saw in a bit of a boot uh, on Tuesday night in the win over Tulsa, not likely to play tonight. And Brandon Mayhem for personal reasons. So it's looking like the Knights are just going to have seven guys uh, active for tonight's game. Uh, That makes it uh, difficult on the road, though they do have a previous win against ECU. Conference tournament just a week away. You'd like to see some momentum going into that, and we'll get a little bit more basketball talk coming up. But uh, as you mentioned, uh, Adam, quite a few uh, hires. Uh, You talked about some of them on the Monday show, uh, but I'd say the most notable thing is uh, yet another transfer coming to us from the portal in one big cat, Bryant. That's a pretty big name coming to UCF. Uh, a big name and a big cat, apparently. He's got a, a first name that uh, I think I'm going to try to pronounce here. Uh, Markavius is actually his real name, so I've been dying to figure that part out. Uh, listen, this guy had some big offers, four-star recruit. I looked up his uh, his profile, Alabama, Georgia, LSU, among the offers out of high school. 
you know, his, his stats at, uh, at Auburn are, are fairly good. I mean, uh, I'm sure you always could have, you know, thought about maybe doing a little bit better on those stats from that standpoint, but uh, here's the challenge, right? He was a Tennessee commit uh, and then he became an Oklahoma um, crystal ball prediction, if you will, on some of those sites and maybe a surprise. I don't know if every, everyone was tracking to it, but out of nowhere, uh, he shows up uh, on in Twitter announcing his uh, his pledge to the Knights. And I think it just goes to show one thing um, and one thing only. And that's the power of T-Will. We, we saw T-Will. We saw the kind of charismatic leader he is. He is. I know people want to give this to Gus Malzahn, but you forget, obviously, T-Will on the defensive side, I'm sure, played a big hand in that. Uh, and and that big hand reels in a big cat. And uh, that's a, a position where, obviously, we lost some folks. We lost a little depth midseason last year. Uh, so adding a uh, an SEC starter is certainly a good way to potentially plug a hole on the D-line. His quote this week was, he didn't get to wreck college football the way he wanted to last year due to an injury. Now coming over to UCF, that's what we want to see. My question is, was Big Cat always his nickname? Is this something that goes back to high school? Or is this something since he played for the Big Cats, the Auburn Tigers, that he adopt that nickname? And does he have to switch to something new now that he's a knight? I may need to do a better job of listening to your question suggestions, as you also pointed out that I failed to do that properly uh, in uh, talking with Coach Malzahn. So I will store that, and if we get a chance to talk to the big cat during spring camp, I may pull that one out, uh, Mike. Where does he rank among the other big cats in sports history? I mean, you got Andres Galarraga. Now that sounds like a topic for the podcast. Johnny Mize. There's a, the goalie for the, the, the Lightning right now. I believe he's the big cat. So there, there's a few big cats. Where does he rank among big cats? Yeah, that sounds like a, a topic for the podcast. I can, coming up. Yeah, I can update you. This is, this is how it works, Trace. I'm sorry. I know you're, you, you're, you're new to the UCF Mike <laughs> question out of nowhere. This is old hat for me. Um, so apparently that was his nickname as a child given to him by his mother. And so he was called Cat as a child. I don't know why that is. That's not in here. Uh, and then uh, at some point, he decided to um, to change the version from a C to a K. Also don't know why that is. Uh, so Big Cat came from uh, his childhood nickname um, from his family. The K goes well with the Knights. I mean, we got the K in the front, too. Ours is silent, but you get the point. He also <laughs> enjoys hunting and fishing. So there you go. There we go. There we go. You mentioned some of the other names coming to UCF this week, a slew of analysts. Ross Martin leaving Auburn. We've heard that a couple of times to serve as assistant to head coach Gus Malzahn. Will Bryant leaving Auburn to serve as an offensive analyst. Charles Moore leaving Kansas to serve as a defensive analyst. And there'll be some more names that come out in some of these grad assistant positions. So Coach Malzahn filling out his staff. We are getting closer to the beginning of spring camp. Everything has been in uh, warp speed. Uh, coach Malzahn hiring his uh, assistant coaches. We're going to hear from some of them coming up in just nine days. And we're just a week or and a half away from the start of spring camp. Question that I asked on Twitter this week uh, is, what's the biggest question that you have on offense going into spring camp? And I'll begin by just saying, I want to see how Dylan Gabriel uh, gels with uh, Coach Malzahn and his offensive scheme. Coach Malzahn and the other coaches have said, uh, you know, they're not going to be introducing everything uh, during this camp, a changeover in the offense. But how those two click uh, is going to be uh, key to how UCF does in this coming season. So that's something I'm looking to to see what their relationship may be like. 
Yeah, even that, I think Mike and I talked about this on the show this week. Uh, we went through some of the QB stats under Malzahn over the past five, six years. And really the QB of note that I guess had anywhere close to the stats was Jarrett Stidham in that 2017 season. So one of the things I'm curious about is, you know, again, we talked about this in the show. Dylan Gabriel may actually have worse statistics in 2021. That does not mean that he will be a worse quarterback or UCF will be a worse team. But based on the way Malzahn runs offense, his numbers may not be the same clip they were used to. So I'm curious to see how that adjustment um, kind of falls. You, you know, we looked at you know Malzahn's passing numbers. and I think Jared Stidham, I think Mike's not going to remember this, but I think it was like 2,900 yards was his highest passing yard total. And so it's interesting to see how that will mesh because we haven't necessarily seen uh, Dylan Gabriel be a, a quote unquote true running quarterback. Malzahn likes to do a lot of that zone read stuff, Trace. I don't know what chapter you are on in Gus Malzahn's book, but it, I, I know Malzahn likes to do some of that zone read stuff. So I, I'm interested to see not the relationship as well, but the blending of the styles, because I would think, and this is just my, my not researching every quarterback ever at Auburn view. This is probably the best pure passer Malzahn's had as a, as a coach, at least as a head coach. And so how's he going to use that will be fascinating to watch in this uh, upcoming, you know, spring season and into the fall camp as well. I give Malzahn some credit. I think he's going to adjust his play calling to the players he has. He's not just going to be calling run plays for a quarterback because that's what he's always done. He knows Dylan Gabriel's talents are, or at least he's going to find out now in the spring, and he'll adjust accordingly and call the plays according to his players. The, the good coaches coach what they have. They don't just try to force it onto players that are not capable of doing. Maybe something maybe Hypo was doing where he just had the one system and try to force his system on everybody. I don't think Malzahn's going to do that. I think he'll adjust according to the personnel. And I also wonder, you know, obviously Malzahn, part of the reason that it's it's theorized that he left Auburn was because he wanted the ability to call plays. And that some of the Auburn faithful didn't didn't think he should do that anymore, lost a little faith and trust in him calling plays. And that kind of flip-flopped back and forth between offensive coordinators and ultimately Gus stopped calling plays. And he was very clear from the moment he stepped foot in Orlando, I am calling the plays now and I am calling the plays for the rest of my career. Part of me wonders if he's got something to prove. If he's going to come out with a little bit of extra oomph this year from a play calling perspective to show everybody who thought he couldn't call plays how dynamic a play caller he can be. And I think that could be super exciting if he can figure out a way to blend that style, call the right plays, do so with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, which is kind of what UCF is about, right? We're a school that's always had that chip on her shoulder. Um, I think it could be interesting marriage if that all works out to our favor. I think maybe you may not see the as many passing yards out of Dylan Gabriel, but we've all seen the last couple of years not utilizing the middle of the field, the shorter passes, maybe a higher percentage, completion percentage out of Gabriel this year, using the tight ends over the middle, not having the wide receivers split out so far wide like we had under Hypo. Maybe that will cause a little bit, you know, a little bit more completions instead of trying to go downfield every other pass. Yeah, some interesting comments coming in. We'd like to hear from you, Chris Morazzo, asking about the utilization of the running backs, and that's something that is uh, a part of the Gus Malzahn offense to generate a lot of yards on the, in the ground game. Uh, Amanda at Amanda M. Schaefer this week on Twitter saying questions that she has are about wide receiver, uh, the wide receivers with some of the departures. Uh, at Nick underscore Pontiff asking, is it possible the offense's points will go down? Uh, that's uh, kind of parlays what you're saying there. Uh, Adam, that uh, Dylan's stats may be down, but they may be a more successful team. And at Sublime underscore Knight, just asking about team chemistry culture. How much of these answers we get out of the spring camp remain to be seen? Uh, with COVID restrictions, uh, you would anticipate 
not much in the way of media access, all of the interviews being done by Zoom, and you might anticipate that continuing out of safety for everyone involved. So how much we're going to get to see other than what UCF prepares and sends out, don't know. Uh, we've gotten a little bit of insight uh, this week uh, into, uh, you know, just the way it's been a, a reset uh, with the hiring of Coach Malzahn, uh, Malzahn and uh, Terry Mahajer. Interesting, uh, the uh, video released by UCF. Is this going to be a collector's item, a national championship shirt? Because in that video, they certainly didn't highlight national champions uh, on the tower. Uh, what did you guys make of a well-produced video, but seemingly moving away from that national championship terminology? Yeah, honestly, I didn't even really pick it up at first. It wasn't until I went back afterwards and saw folks on Twitter talking about, you know, how that was wasn't there. But I saw our good buddy um, uh, JP Gilbert uh, sort of, you know, had had a comment and 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 added uh, Terry Mohajer on Twitter, and Mohajer responded to that today or so, sort of subtweeted it and basically said that you know he checked the record book, he knows it's there, but the goal of every team is conference championship. You know, make it to a tournament if that's the case, and win a national championship. So he didn't necessarily go full endorsement, but he didn't also you know uh, say he was kind of backing away from it. So I, I think it's interesting to think through. I think he's obviously kind of pointing the compass in the in the up arrow direction, right? He wants to kind of move forward and and take this program forward and you also got to wonder and i'm gonna throw this out there as a conspiracy theorist because that's what we do on the sons of ucf show is you know that was a danny claim and and terry and, and obviously the ncaa has has you know vetted it but i wonder if terry's just trying to say hey i'm building my pedigree here i'm building my my program and i'm gonna sort of get away with some uh, get away from some of the danny stuff and, and and that was kind of an original danny claim right so maybe he's just sort of trying to step a little bit away from his predecessor to, to build his own foundation at ucf yeah, and you know, I noticed it right away that they didn't show. They showed the conference championship years. They didn't show the national championship sign, but they did say check the record books. That's the one thing they mentioned. Uh, eh, I would have liked to see them keep going with the national championship thing. We're not gonna. I hope we don't take it off the stadium wall. Yes, that, I agree to that. Yeah, <laughs> that would be a, a big. Uh, people around UCF will not be happy about that. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> Starting with the two of us, at least Trace probably too. Yeah, uh, I'm in total agreement. Uh, it remains yeah. there. I can understand and appreciate how uh, the new athletic director wants to move ahead. And I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, uh, this is an opportunity for a bit of a reset button. I think we need it as a fan base as well to move forward in a new direction. And I hope that's what uh, Terry Mahajer is, uh, you know, sort of indicating there. But I, I thought his comment to JP was interesting on uh, Twitter today. Uh, and interesting also that uh, Terry Mahajer is no longer on the playoff invitational uh, committee. Uh, the uh, Sunbelt, now that he's not part of the Sunbelt, uh, the Sunbelt rep has been named. So he's not part of that anymore. So we were on that for like a week and a half or so, but uh, uh, no influence on that. We've had opportunity this week through Zoom to meet uh, some of the uh, new assistant coaches and uh, wide ranging uh, personalities. Uh, today was opportunity to meet with the new offensive line coach, a guy that is a veteran, uh, has worked a lot of places, uh, very interesting. He remembers his time at Tulsa with Coach Malzahn playing UCF. Uh, he he harkened back to just how difficult uh, those games were uh, facing off against UCF. Uh, and he gave a very colorful answer today. We'll hear from him now on what he likes to see in an offensive lineman. I like to be able to look up at him. That's number one, uh, instead of looking eye to eye at him. But, 
And we certainly got some good uh, guys that have some length to them, which is good to see. Um, but you also, you want guys who can bend, okay, that are flexible, all right? Um, you want guys that can move their feet, okay? Uh, you want guys who can, you know, they're, they're not heavy-footed, all right? I want guys that play uh, with fast feet, uh, guys who have good change of direction, okay? Um, you want to have guys who are physical enough at the point of attack to reestablish the line of scrimmage. And other than height, I think Kurt, Coach Hand has really described Mike right there, don't you think? <laughs> Listen, I, think arms, I, I don't know how long my arms are. <laughs> I think Mike, Mike always wants to play the looks-like game. I think if there's a, such a goldmine with the Herb Hand looks-like game options that, you know, the you know who knows how much longer the show will go on with that. Here's the thing. I think this is one of the most important positions, Trace. You asked what, you know, what we want to see from an improvement. For me, I wrote down the offensive line. Here's just a couple of stats I'll throw out quickly. According to Pro Football Focus, UCF's O-line was ranked 114th last year. That's out of 128. That's not good if you're scoring at home. Uh, everybody on the O-line gave up double-digit pressures. This was a group that I think we thought was going to be maybe the strength of UCF. We saw some of the penalty debacles. ECU obviously comes to mind. So this is a unit that if, if Gus Malzahn and his offense want to go, they need they need protection up front. They need to be able to block, to be able to, to establish a running game. And Dylan Gabriel needs time to be able to throw the football. So this is, to me, the most important question going into the spring. How will this unit gel? How will they continue to grow and evolve? Obviously, I think um, it's, it's probably not a hot take to say they took a bit of a step back last year. Uh, the penalties were, were, I guess, more than we wanted. They also gave up 2.2 sacks a game, uh, which ranked them 63 in the nation, so right in the middle. So if this group improves and we can control the lines of scrimmage, which is no secret in football, you have a good chance to win. So I think Herb Hand has probably one of the most important jobs in the staff this year. Also, remember, taking all those deep shots down the field – that requires an extra second or two for the offensive line to hold up. Maybe not doing as much of that this year may help them a little bit in stats like hurries allowed. But the thing I noticed out of that interview was I heard a couple of eyes in there. So we're not missing those completely now from Hypo. We got Herb Hand filling in with the eyes. So he seems like he's going to be one of the more energetic guys in the uh, press conference room. He mentioned that he has six guys returning and he said uh, some 4,800 snaps of experience returning. So if he can make uh, some progress there, it'll pave the way for the running game. No Otis Anderson, no Greg McRae, so some question marks there. Also had opportunity to speak to the new running backs coach, co-offensive coordinator Tim Harris Jr. Comes over from FIU, had a lot of success in developing running backs uh, at FIU, and, and he talked about what he is looking for in a running back. The first thing, you know, you, you always want a guy that, you know, I think for a running back, the biggest thing is having a guy that has really good vision. You know, sometimes guys get caught up into, and I think they can come in all different sizes. You know, you have some guys that are bigger backs, you have some guys that are smaller, but I think if you find guys that have really good vision and you can see things and anticipate certain things and be able to stop and start, you do want a guy with good speed, but I think football is played by stopping and starting. If you have a guy that can stop and start, that can see things, that can anticipate and set up blocks, you know, the, the size factor, you know, I, I think you want a mixture of a lot of different guys. I don't think everyone has to be the same. Couldn't help but think that he was really describing a recent guest on the Sons of UCF podcasting, Greg McRae. Doesn't Greg McRae sound just like that? 
Yeah, that's what I thought of initially, Trace, right? I think he wants somebody who can, you know, who can, you know, pound between the tackles, but also get outside, you know, read and set up blocks the right way. And, you know, once you get to the second level, Greg had some speed to break away. This will be interesting. I mean, we've seen Bentavious Thompson, and the reality was when we saw we saw him play, typically he was playing later in games, and he had a bunch of breakaway runs. Uh, but he seemed to be more of a straight line runner. He wasn't somebody who was shifty, making moves. Seemed like he put a foot in the ground, went one direction and ran. And he did a great job. So I'm not trying to be critical, but I'll be curious to see, you know, how how that evolves. Obviously, we have the the transfer that we may or may not be allowed to talk about, Trace. I'm not sure anymore. Uh, so we have a potential transfer and uh, Mark Anthony Richards that, but you know, is in the backfield. We have a bunch of young guys we haven't really seen a lot out of yet. Um, so I'm curious to see how, how that group comes together because it, it certainly is a group that, you know, is, is a tad short on um, experience, but certainly we believe the ceiling is high on potential. And can Tim Harris get that potential out of those guys? Big key coming up in the 2021 season. I like that you mentioned working with different size backs because that's exactly what we have. We have small guys. We have bigger guys now with Mark Anthony. We have the, the kid that transferred over last year. I'm uh, forgetting his name that, only played in a couple games. RJ uh, Harvey. RJ Harvey. He's a bigger back. So we have a mixture. We have Johnny Richardson's got the speed. And he, they're going to, just like I said with the quarterbacks, depend, game plan depending on the opponent, depending on the game situation, when they're going to use these guys. Not just say, okay, automatically this guy's starting every game and this guy's coming in in the third quarter every game. I think they're going to switch it up depending on the opponent. Florida Dude 91 says the coach is really going to love Johnny Richardson. He's someone that could be an explosive talent for UCF. Do you think it's possible that we see at least one 1,000-yard rusher for UCF this coming season in Coach Malzahn's offense? I'm going to say no, and not just because not because we don't have the talent, just because I think there would probably be more of a running back by committee situation. You know, I think you'll see a little bit of, of MAR in there. Uh, I think you'll see Bentavious in there a little bit. And there's probably going to be a third guy, either Demarius Good, uh, RJ Harvey. Uh, we had, obviously, the true uh, the true freshman recruit. I think Anthony Williams is his name from, uh, from Lake Brantley. So you don't know who's going to be back there. Uh, so I'll say no, but not because we don't have the potential, just because I think we'll end up you know, spreading the ball around a little bit more. All right, I'll say yes, just to be different. And, um, you know, I, I think Malzahn's going to put more of a focus on the running game. And then when we're up in games, instead of still throwing the ball up 14 in the fourth quarter, I think he's going to rely a little bit more on the running game, the four-minute offense. Maybe you'll see some guys break 100 yards per game after that, and eventually it'll add up to 1,000 yards for somebody. As much as there are questions on the offensive line at running back and at wide receiver, Coach Malzahn's got to feel good going into spring camp knowing that he's got Dylan Gabriel as his quarterback. And as you mentioned, Adam, you know, perhaps the best pure passer that he's had uh, as a head coach. Uh, we had opportunity to speak with the uh, new co-offensive coordinator. There's a lot of those, it seems, and quarterbacks coach G.J. Kinney. Uh, and uh, he, no doubt, right, really likes what he sees in Dylan Gabriel. Know, and just watching DG on film, even last year when I was in Hawaii, getting some ideas. Um, you know, he's just a natural passer. You don't have to, um, you know, the arc on the deep ball. It's very natural for him. He's very accurate. Um, got a lot of moxie um, to him. Just being around him the last, you know, week, um, his leadership skills are off the charts. Um, you know, so I think he's, he has all the tools to, to, you know, be a top-level guy at the next level. And obviously, he's already proven that at the, the collegiate level. I like the word moxie there. 
Well, first things, uh, GJ is certainly a, a tongue twister. It takes a minute to really get that out. Uh, actually, that's Gary Joe. I looked that up because I was curious what the heck a GJ would say. Mike was going to ask in a minute. Anyway. I know he was. So I, that's why I have yeah. to look this stuff up in advance because <laughs> I know it's coming my way. Um, yeah, obviously, we know Dylan Gabriel's great. Um, I, I do like the Hawaii connection. Obviously, um, uh, Kenny spent some time this past season in Hawaii. So you may have some familiarity already with Dylan Gabriel. So I think that'll be good to build that rapport. Listen, that, that coach-quarterback relationship, I think someone said, earlier is so critical uh, but obviously uh, Dylan will spend just as much if not more time with his QB coach than he probably will with Malzahn in some respects so it'll be interesting to see how they form that relationship but definitely you know I, I think I think Kenny and Malzahn and, and to whatever extent Tim Harris uh, is involved in the uh, in the passing game I mean they, they've got a, a golden goose that fell on their lap so it'll be interesting to see how they how they can leverage his skill sets how they can use him but if I was Kenny I'd be excited too not just because I have that cool shirt on by the way I do like all those shirts that were in the Hawaiian Nikes not sure when those are coming out, but uh, I would be pretty excited that I get really my first crack at a, at a big time level job. And I'm working with probably one of the top, you know, five to 10 quarterbacks in all of college football. He just makes me feel old because I feel like I just watched him play against us not very long ago. And here he is as one of our coaches, one of our main coaches on this staff and spoken very highly of by Gus Malzahn, supposed to be the next up and comer. You may see him be a head coach one day and the, the relationship he builds with Dylan Gabriel is going to be key for this season. He's a young guy, so hopefully they can connect that way. And, you know, I, I don't know what to expect out of him, but everybody's expecting, like, he is the next guy. He may be offensive coordinator material one day or a head coach one day. I think another question going into this camp is who emerges as the clear backup to Dylan Gabriel. And uh, I think that's a, an interesting question. Uh, all positions obviously open, uh, as Coach Malzahn says, but who emerges there should be interesting as well. Yeah, I mean, you've got two, uh, you know, two guys from Arizona and Park Navarro and Mikey Keene. Obviously, neither one of them recruited by Gus Malzahn. Uh, you have Quadri Jones, who's kind of been around the program for a long time. Uh, he seems to to be a guy who has some talent, hasn't seen the field yet. Obviously, we've seen a few things that have kind of taken place here and there, um, sort of on the sidelines, off the field. So that that will be an interesting battle. Um, to, to see kind of what, what Gus wants. Uh, you would assume Mikey King would redshirt. That's just a guess on my part. But uh, that, that that backup spot will be interesting. This would be a tailor-made spot for a, a DJ Mack, who would have probably been, you know, Gus Malzahn's chiseled prototype of a quarterback with his size, his strength, his speed, his, his arm strength. Uh, but uh, obviously we wish DJ great things at ODU, but uh, that, that will be interesting. I assume quad has the upper upper leg, no pun intended, but uh, I guess we'll find out as, as camp gets rolling. Quadri Jones has been the forgotten man in this quarterback room for years now. But we always hear about how great of an athlete he is, how much he can run, he can throw, he can do it all. We saw that his first, what, five passes were complete. He had the best completion pass percentage of anybody for a while until he finally threw an incompletion this year. But, I mean, it's up for grabs now. And whoever impresses the coaches, they're coming in, they're judging everybody with a clean slate. So I wouldn't be surprised if they if they took the red shirt off Mikey Keene if he was that impressive in the preseason. So it's anybody's job right now. You know, no one to my knowledge, right, has entered the transfer portal, including some of these quarterbacks not recruited by Coach Malzahn and his staff. So uh, that's also something interesting. And certainly no one has uh, followed Josh Heupel to Tennessee so far, right? Attracted a couple of names to come to UCF, including uh, the, the one that just uh, spurned Tennessee. 
uh, and Big Cat, uh, but nobody going to Knoxville. The first coach that we had opportunity to meet with this week, not on the offensive side of the ball, but the defensive side, David Gibbs, co-defensive coordinator, secondary coach. And after a few years of Q&A with uh, Randy Shannon, I got to tell you, it was uh, refreshing to deal with the interesting cat that is David Gibbs. Uh, he was colorful in his answers. And I thought he was candid when asked, uh, Coach, you know, what kind of defense do you plan to run here? We're, we're just now installing the defense amongst the coaches. Our players have no idea what defense we're running. Because they even asked me on, I think it was Friday, and I said, I don't know yet. I mean, I, I have a general idea, but we don't know um, exactly what we're going to be running. But uh, Coach Williams will do a great job. Get us, he'll get us organized, get us lined up. And then obviously just, just getting the players in the right positions to fit the scheme. You know, because you, you, you hear coaches say this all the time. I'm going to, I'm a three, four defense. I'm a four, three defense. Well, guess what? How do you really know what you are until you get there and get to, get to plant, you know, coaching your players and watching your players practice and actually perform what you're asking them to do. So you got to have versatility. How do you really know what you are? I like that question. Well, the good news is, uh, judging by last year, I don't know if we knew what defense we played then either. So we might be used to that. Uh, the other good news is that I think David Gibbs offers a lot of opportunities for the looks, <laughs> looks like game as well. Uh, but I, I like the transparency, Trace. You're right. Obviously, we didn't hear a lot of that. We heard a ton of coach speak. Um, you know, we obviously need to figure that out pretty quickly, uh, what defense we're running. And maybe that's some of that's coy, right? Maybe some of that's, you know, him just sort of playing to, hey, we're, we're, we're going to be multiple. I know that's a hypolism. I hate to keep doing that kind of stuff, but that they're going to do a lot of different things defensively. Uh, but I, I like the transparency. I, I hope and I assume the spring season will help them kind of figure that out. But lest we forget, again, I, as much as I love T. Will, and I think he's definitely a dynamic guy, first time really kind of coordinating an off a defense on his own. I know Gibbs is there, but in that in that presser, he alluded or later on essentially that T. Will will come up with a good plan, and he's got some trust in T. Will. So T. Will being a young coach, it'll be interesting to see how he kind of handles this. He's got the veteran guys like Gibbs around him to help him, but. Um, hopefully we get that figured out soon because obviously the defensive side of the ball is probably the side of the ball that we needed the most, uh, most assistance with as we go into 2021. I like the honesty of him saying, not knowing what we're running yet, I, maybe coming in and say, Hey, we run a three, four and then get here and find out you don't have the tools to run that. Then we'd be in trouble. So just like I was saying about the offense, you adjust your style to the players you have until you get the guys you want in here. When you start doing the recruiting for the next two, three years, and build a system that you want for now, for this season, he's going to have to deal with what's in the cupboard right now. And he's not sure what that is. So uh, good for him. He's got the whole uh, spring now to figure it out. He's going to have a month of practices with these guys. And then I think he had a better answer for that at the end of spring practice. Well, you got a little homework now uh, ahead of next Thursday's show. That question will be, what's the biggest question on defense? Uh, the interviews, the Q&As with the coaches continue Friday. Brian Blackman, the new UCF special teams coordinator and tight ends coach. I don't know. Mike, do you have any questions for the new special teams coach? I know that's been an area that you've been quite critical of the past couple of seasons as UCF hasn't done much uh, in that area. you got to win all three phases, right? And that has not been a strong suit for UCF. So 
your question for next week is what does the defense, what's the biggest question for defense? Coach interviews continue Friday. We're getting to know these guys uh, and uh, some colorful personalities. Hopefully they will continue to be good soundbite machines uh, during spring camp and into the uh, to the season. Just about 30 minutes away from tip-off, UCF men's basketball, its final regular season game ahead of the conference tournament. They are at ECU, the 9 o'clock tip on ESPNU. Reported by Mark Daniels on Night Talk, two scratches for this game looks to be C.J. Walker, who uh, had an ankle injury, rolled an ankle, is what Coach Dawkins said in the postgame on uh, Tuesday in the uh, 73-69 win over Tulsa, and Brandon Mayhan, who uh, is out for personal reasons. Just seven guys expected to suit up and be in the rotation. Um, Adam, they have played well of late, but you'd like to get this win and, and, and clinch uh, what looks to be the sixth seed in the conference tournament and possible rematch with ECU. Yeah, this is a good momentum game for, for UCF, obviously. I think they've played their best basketball these past couple of weeks, which is tough to do when they've had a few different uh, challenges from a scheduling standpoint. But I think you've really seen them gel together. If you want to make some noise in the conference tournament, and let's be let's be frank, the only shot, the only shot we have of breaking into the big NCAA tournament is winning the AQ bid here from the conference. So we're going to have to put together one hell of a run to do that. It, obviously, the, the chips are kind of stacked against us. But you got to win one at a time. And if you go in with some momentum, you know, at least helps you get there. So I'd love to see them continue this on. Obviously, it's unfortunate to not have Walker and Mayhan. Um, you know, in the lineup tonight, shorthanded. Uh, ECU hasn't really been a world beater this year. So, you know, they, they are definitely a beatable team. Uh, but you're going to need a guy to step up. You're going to need a guy like Isaiah Adams to have another performance that he had at Tulane. You're going to need a guy like Jamil Reynolds maybe to, to chip in with, you know, 12 points and six boards on the inside. You're going to need some more consistency. Darius Perry, again, never afraid of a shot. He's going to have to have one of those games as well. It's not impossible, Trace, but it, it's unfortunate that, you know, you have a couple key guys out because I think this was this is the best stretch they've been playing and uh if they can if they can keep it moving without some guys tonight i think you got to feel good going into the tournament and more importantly if all these guys come back uh which by the way brendan mahan did not come out for senior night not sure if he came out for last year's senior night so i don't know that per se but if these guys come back and you you put these uh, this team together next year with uh maybe less restrictions you know you got to feel good about your chances if you're a ucf fan we talked a lot earlier in this year how we were only putting what eight guys in the rotation during most games anyway. So playing with seven tonight, it seems like we're shorthanded, but something we may be used to already, the way we approach this season. Uh, the two guys we're missing are obviously huge pieces. So you gotta. it's going to be Isaiah Adams' night, and like you said, Darius Perry. Those are guys are going to have to spark us offensively if we want any chance in this and stay out of foul trouble early, or else we're going to be in big trouble. Usually there's like a, uh, a team manager that comes in. He's like the victory cigar of the team sometimes when we're up by – you know, 30 points. We don't have one of those guys to fill in for a night like this. I mean, uh, our good friend Mario, who's so far winning the comment game, is wondering if it's Trace. I can't confirm it's not, so I guess we'll go with that for right now. Well, you can't. We, we know he's in good shape. I, we've we've seen all the walking. We know he's in good shape. He's in good shape. We've seen the walking. I don't know. You can confirm I'm in Sanford, Florida, not Greenville, North Carolina. So uh, I can tell you that that's not going to be tonight. You mentioned uh, earlier about the salute to the seniors during senior night. Avery Diggs, Darius Perry, and Colin Smith, who has been out for undisclosed health reasons all year. It was nice that they honored him. I noticed that as well about Brandon Mahan. I uh, sent an email to UCF Sports Information Director Dan Forsell and asked, what about Mahan? And he said that it's each individual player's decision and he decided not to have a big to-do and be recognized, and family couldn't be there. So 
that doesn't mean that we might not see Brandon Mahan again uh, next season, just a personal decision for him on Tuesday night. Uh, UCF uh, 9 and 11 overall, 7 and 10 in the AAC. Uh, ECU 8 and 8 overall, 2 and 8 in the AAC. UCF beat the Pirates back uh, in uh, just January, 71 64. So, uh, as, as mentioned here, chance to be sixth or possibly seventh. The, the tournament uh, begins next week, a uh, week from today uh, in uh, Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, depending on the way this shakes out, we could be the lead-in for that game. It could be uh, a late game as well. Women's basketball avenged their Tuesday loss over in Tampa. They beat the Cows just before we came on the air, 58-45. Interestingly, the Cows clinched the regular season title, beat UCF by just three. They had a big lead, 17 points at the half. UCF uh, fought back in the second half. But it's a technicality as to how it would figure, right, that the team from Tampa uh, clinches the conference tournament on a technicality. The AAC declared a forfeit victory for them against Memphis when Memphis could not play them. And because of that, they edge UCF by just a half a game because of this phantom forfeit. And uh, right before I hopped on for the Sons of UCF Live, I was on the Zoom with Coach Abe, and I asked her uh, that question, what she made, you know, what sense she made of the standings. And she said, they don't make any sense. And it's just uh, a chip on the shoulder for this team now, and it's really driving them. So uh, that's an interesting uh, piece for them going into this tournament, the, the second seed. Might there be another rematch against a top 20 ranked team from Tampa? First off, I call shenanigans. Second off, obviously, again, the, sure, the, the, you know, the, the, the cows from West, you know, whatever, Central Florida there, they can, they can maybe take the, uh, the regular season title if that's what they want to do. But, you know, obviously the tournament's still coming around and UCF has a golden opportunity to, you know, to, to write their own ticket. Uh, I don't know, Trace, maybe you know better than I. Obviously, uh, beating the cows tonight is a quad one win for the ladies. I don't know if, if Coach A was asked about. I, I don't know that I know specifically. Are they a, are they a bubble team tournament-wise? Do they, do they need to make some noise in the AAC tournament to get into the big dance? They are considered in uh, a bubble team. The win today helped them. Uh, you know, you want to see him do uh, get a couple of wins in the in the conference tournament today helped him. It would have been very difficult for them to get in if they hadn't won today. Uh, UCF now, by the way, with that win, extends their lead in the war on I-4. They picked up three points. They dropped the three the other day in Tampa, 21-9 now, which does seem, by the way, the closest this war on I-4 rivalry has been in quite some time. UCF still there's a lot of games to be played. Uh, and soccer and baseball, softball uh, with a busy spring, but always nice to pick up three wins in that. But yeah, very much still on the bubble. But you look over Coach Abe and her tenure at UCF and with UConn out of the league now, it has been uh, quite the fight between uh, UCF and the rivals over in Tampa. And uh, it's uh, they may yet see one another again in Fort Worth, but uh, you got to give a lot of credit to, to Coach Abe and the, and the team and the, and, and the seniors, Masani Kaba, Cortesia Sanders, and Janae Walker. Uh, they have left their mark on UCF in a big way. You often hear the saying, ball don't lie. Well, the standings are doing a little funny thing here where we're not winning the, during the regular season, but that's going to catch up to the Cows in the postseason tournament. That's After building off today's win, the confidence that the team has now, I say we see these guys again. In the tournament, we beat them, and we write our own tickets at a big dance. Ball don't lie. Mike, you're always so quotable. 
in these things. I would love to see you hop on one of these Zooms with the coaches, by the way. <laughs> would you re- you wouldn't really have asked uh, Coach Malzahn, would you, about uh, tank tops, right? Though I my asked question, about jackets. Yeah, my question, well, but in a Zoom with other members of the media. I did it face-to-face, me and him, mano a mano. So, yeah, I'm not scared of Zoom. I'll, I'll ask him. <laughs> I'll ask him about uh Tank tops, get, give uh, Forcella my number and put me on the Zoom. The next one, he's on. <laughs> Trace, I, I, I know you've listened to all 122 episodes of the Sons of UCF, only like even 30 the lost ones available ones. to most people. Even, even the, the lost, lost ones, ones. correct. Yeah. Uh, and to the, that you have to ask when Mike asked that kind of question, um, I don't, you know, you may need to go in like a penalty box for a minute or two because that is that is Mike's wheelhouse. That's why that was that's what Mike is here for. I'm the guy who told O'Leary he was the white horse. Remember that. You were. This is true. This is true. I mean, we planned it in advance, but yes, you were the one who asked the question, for sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, by the way, my question of Coach Malzahn, uh, by mentioning uh, the uh, uh, the running back, uh, that is what raised his concerns. And I certainly do not want to be involved in any recruiting violations. So I don't want to be the cause of that. Uh, but uh, mentioning his name, uh, raised the eyebrow, and Coach Malzahn did not uh, want to answer that question. So, Have you been contacted um, by the NCAA yet, Trace? Are you under investigation <laughs> for anything? Is there anything you can reveal to us? Uh, no, no. Okay. No. I'm, uh, I'm uh, busy training uh, for the uh, <laughs> Alumni Association's 5K. By the way, uh, Alumni Association saying nearly 500 participants have registered, including Jan and Britt, uh, neighbors of mine here in Sanford. Uh, we plan to uh, participate together. Uh, by the way, Mike, Britt saw me walking back from the park. That doesn't mean I was walking all of the time. And I mentioned, as you know, if you follow the Sons of UCF on their Twitter page, that I recognized the day of the day, which the other day was Hammock Day, and today is Sons Day. So it doesn't mean I'm slacking off here. Jan, Britt, and I have got you covered from Sanford. So Let's, let's end this trade talk to the Denver alumni chapter. I will be, um, I'll be covering things here. Trace, Trace I'm, I'm on your side. I'm pro Trace. I will tell you, though, that where, where I'm from, you run to the end, buddy. You run to the tape and you run through the tape and you don't, you don't stop and walk home. You run to the end. That's just where I'm from. The mean streets of Pompano. That's what we did. So I'm not, I'm not here to cast stones or anything. Uh, but Monica actually is in the chat right now. Monica saying it's actually five seventeen. has a couple of minutes ago, Trace. So uh, a live update from Monica. Now, I have no idea, Monica, if you can hear us, if you're still listening, if you are, thank you very much. Uh, how many people have signed up on the Suns team? I'd love to hear that stat. Uh, if you can provide that, that'd Five. be fantastic. If not, if Jan, not, I understand. And, Britt, but what are you going to do? You, me, and and Mike. All right. Uh, I think we, my lovely wife signed up as well. So. You're getting very defensive about my attacks on you. <laughs> Let's just say this. When Monica was on this show a couple of weeks ago, you fired the first shot by saying you were going to beat me in this thing. After that, all trash talking began. So that's where we're standing on this. I'm not the bad guy here. But don't get into a trash-talking war with me if you don't want to finish it, all right? <laughs> all right. We're about 18 <laughs> minutes away between tip-off between UCF and ECU. Want to bring in our guest tonight. He is Bubba Rosenbaum, co-host of the Sports Objective Podcast. They cover ECU sports. You can find him at Bubba Rosenbaum. Bubba, 8-8 eight eight for ECU, 2-8 and eight in league. It has been a COVID-disrupted year for the Pirates. 
No doubt about it. Um, Pirates got off to a 7-1 and start, uh, playing very well, uh, did something that they haven't done in a while, and that's uh, take care of business in the non-conference schedule, albeit uh, an abbreviated non-conference schedule with just six games. But uh, like I said, 7-1, and one, playing very well. But then um, things started to fall apart with the first pause back on January 9th. Uh, did not play again until January 24th. And coming out of that first pause, uh, let's just hope um, that the Pirates, for at least for my sake, uh, play, play much better than they did that first time coming out of the pause. Um, this time it has been 24 days uh, since the Pirates were last on the court, and that was against SMU back on February 8th in what was a 15-point loss. But for those folks who didn't watch the first game, give us a scouting report on ECU. Who are some players we need to watch out for? Who are the, sort of the big names or the, the big-time players that we should expect to see uh, contributions from tonight? It certainly starts with Jaden Gardner. Uh, Jaden's averaging a little over 18 points. I know that's near the top of the league, maybe at the top. And then you also uh, have Jaden pulling down 8.6 rebounds. Uh, so uh, he, it starts with him. And then um, Tristan Newton's the guy. He, he, he struggled this year after having an excellent freshman year. So but he's a tremendous player. And although he struggled, who knows, I may, maybe – Tonight uh, he'll he'll play the way he's capable of playing. He's he's done a lot of good things. He just hasn't shot the ball well from the floor this year. He he's distributed it pretty well, and then he's he's shot ninety three percent from the line, but he can't can't really knock down shots um, from the floor. So hopefully that's something he'll figure out in the near future. But uh, Trey Mont Robinson White, uh, another point guard, is someone to definitely keep an eye on. He's averaging I think nine points a game and shooting close to forty percent from three. Bubba, obviously a tough season right now, two and eight in the conference. But one of those wins is against Houston, which is one of the best teams in the country. Yeah. <laughs> My question is simply one word. How? Yeah. I think that was one of those things. Um, I, I think it was more the Pirates playing well than it was Houston playing poorly. Um, obviously, they didn't play as well as they're capable of playing. But at the same time, uh, I think we shot. Um, over 50% that night, um, close to 50% from three, um, whereas on the season we're shooting 32% from three, so that had a lot to do with it. It's it's funny. You know, I've heard members of the local media talk about a coach well, when, we're, when we have shots falling and we're, we're not bad. Well, uh, I think a lot of teams around the country could say that. But uh, in all seriousness, I, I really think the program on the whole is progressing under Joe Dooley. Uh, despite uh, the two and eight conference mark, and uh, Pirate fans are frustrated uh, a certain faction, but I think some of those folks don't realize exactly what Coach Dooley and his staff are trying to accomplish. It's not a rebuild; it's a build. This is a program that hasn't been to the uh, NCAA tournament but twice in its history, and not since 1993. Well, uh, while basketball has had its struggles, let's talk about some of the other ECU sports things, though more promising for ECU baseball. Projected preseason to win the American. You guys turn quickly to looking at the diamond, don't you? No doubt about it. Um, East Carolina baseball is is probably historically our most successful program year in year out. Um, this year, Pirates off to an excellent six and two start. And I guess what year seven now for Cliff Godwin. Ranked anywhere from 12th to 20th in the six baseball polls. You guys know how that goes. Uh, a lot of disparity there, but uh, certainly a very talented team, a lot of depth. And 
who knows? Um, you, you never know. This may be the year that the Pirates can finally break down the door and get to Omaha because they have the most regional appearances without a trip to the College World Series in 30. All right, Bubba, switching gears again, let's go to football for a second. Kind of a, a bigger picture view, obviously, ECU being a fellow combatant in the American Conference. UCF hires Gus Malzahn. Uh, your reaction to that as a as a, an opponent, as a rival of UCF is what? I, I think it's a tremendous hire. Uh, I definitely think it's a tremendous hire when um, when you guys hired Terry Mahajer. Uh, I immediately said to myself, and I think I text some other UCF folks saying, hey, Gus Malzahn's going to be the hire. I really think that. And obviously that's what happened. So I think it, I think it was the obvious hire. And, um, you know, kudos to everyone there in Orlando for getting it done. We've been conference foes for a while now, going back to Conference USA days. You guys gave us a hard time in the series early. We've kind of dominated lately. How do you guys feel about UCF as a rival? Are we one of your top rivals now that we've been around for a while? With the American Athletic Conference being so spread out, it's a league that's certainly uh, in need of some rivalries. And like you mentioned, um, with all the success that UCF has had against the Pirates of late, um, I'm sure a lot of folks would say that it's not a rivalry. But I, I, I certainly – I would view it as one just from the standpoint – um, this is a series that goes back to the early 90s. I think 1991 was the first meeting and down there in the Citrus Bowl, uh, actually when UCF was still 1AA. Uh, so it goes back 30 years old now, and um, there's a lot more history between East Carolina and UCF and some of the other programs in the American. About 12 minutes until tip-off between UCF and ECU. Bubba, let's wrap up with this. I was a guest on your show recently, the uh, Bubba Rowe Show. Talk a little bit about that, the roundtable you had, where folks can find it, and your content on the Sports Objective podcast. Absolutely. I'll, I'll actually start off with the Sports Objective. Um, that was my first podcasting experience, and that was something um, that got started back in March of 2018. So um, just starting our fourth year. I'm primarily focused on East Carolina sports, but we'll talk. And we've had Tim Brando on, Bruce Feldman, a lot of good national guests as well. So definitely check that out. So it's at the Sports OBJ on Twitter, at the Sports Objective on Instagram. And uh, we're certainly available uh, on YouTube and Facebook as well, simply by searching the Sports Objective. And as far as my own show, uh, that's something that I launched a month ago. Uh, I'm about nine episodes in now. I've had some tremendous guests. Uh, Jim, the rookie Morris, that you guys probably remember the pitch that pitched, excuse me, for the Tampa Bay Devil Rays back in the day. Um, had him on in the first couple of shows. Also, and some some other very good guests, including um, including Brad Long, who was in Hoosiers. And then also um, in a recent episode, I caught up with a guy who's a professor at the University of Southern Mississippi, and that's Dr. Chris Croft. That's the latest episode that dropped today, and we talked about his time with Eddie Sutton in Oklahoma State and a lot of other coaching stops as well as major issues in college, um, college sports in general and then also college basketball. It seems you failed to mention me as a recent guest on your show, but I'll take no offense so, to that. We do have a question yes, I, on I, our Twitter here. Uh, Sorry, at, Lo at Lonely Bumblebee, where can I get the best wings in Greenville? So how about you take us out with that answer? Best wings in Greenville. Uh, let's see. I'll go with um, 
I'm sure one of the popular answers would be the obvious BW3s, Buffalo Wild Wings, but I'll go with the, the local wings over Greenville. Uh, they have some excellent wings. And then um, as far as the Knights Roundtable, I didn't mean to leave that out. I really uh, enjoyed it. was taking- a shameless plug as Adam has scrolled at the bottom of the screen. No, you can find that content, Bubba Rose Show, at Bubba Rosenbaum. Bubba, we appreciate it. Just a few moments before tip-off, uh, go Knights against your Pirates, and we'll have you back on in the future. We thank you for being with us on the Sons of UCF tonight. Appreciate it, guys. Look forward to coming back on very soon. Shameless plug Trelco. I like that. I appreciate that, Adam. So uh, about nine minutes to go. Let's go around the kingdom real quick. Uh, UCF baseball, you guys talked about it on your Monday show. They take two out of three. Really should have been a sweep of then number one Ole Miss. And uh, then they dropped the game in DeLand against Stetson on Wednesday night, 6-5. UCF now three and five on the season. As many great defensive plays as they made in that game against the Hatters, they also made some head-scratching plays. Uh, They've got Liberty coming up uh, this weekend. Still trying to figure themselves out, but good to have Coach Lovelady back after uh, the uh, episode with COVID earlier. Yeah, they were lights out against Ole Miss, right? I mean, Mike and I talked about it. They actually probably could have swept that series. Obviously, the the first game of that Saturday doubleheader was there for the taking. If it wasn't for a a couple of unfortunate defensive mishaps, you know, we may walk out with a with a three game sweep. And we act like Stetson's not good. I mean, they're 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 a darn good baseball team. Ten and zero. Uh, and and so, as much as you look at it, you say, "Ah, oh, we beat number one, but we can't beat Stetson." Uh, you know, Stetson's a, a good a good team. So I think you 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 hopefully feel. Um, encouraged by the way that the baseball team has come together. Uh, if, if the pitching can continue to, uh, to rise up, AJ Jones had a fantastic game. He's the AAC pitcher of the week. You know, if you can continue to get solid performances out of that uh, and uh, you know, guys like McCabe are continuing to, to crush the ball, we'll be in some games, right? It'll, it'll just you know, come down to pitching and, you know, defense. I think that's probably been the biggest struggle. Mike, you're more of a baseball guy than I am, but it feels like our defense has certainly let us down uh, at a handful of games so far this year. College baseball, that's a common thing. Uh, Trace and I were at the game at FAU, and their shortstop made about seven errors that day. It's just something that you see a lot in college baseball, unfortunately, with the errors. Something you can you can improve on and get better on as the season goes on, which is what this team's going to need to do. We haven't even started conference play yet. We just had the guy on from ECU. We have some very good baseball teams in this conference, East Carolina being one of the best in the nation. So we got to get these things cleaned up, but the, the schedule we've played so far has got to be one of the top schedules in the country. I mean, Ole Miss was number one. We played a weekend series with them. FAU is in the top 20 now. And you just mentioned Stetson, 10-0. and 0. That's a solid baseball program, always has been. Maybe the schedule lightens up a little bit this weekend with Waka Waka Flames coming in. And then after that, <laughs> we got North Florida and Jacksonville. Uh, so maybe we can start getting on a little bit of a roll here before things pick up again. We get FAU again and then get into conference play. And don't, FAU actually beat the Gators last night in baseball. So obviously they're, they're also a, they're obviously a talented team as well. Well, preseason, I asked Coach Lovelady with four games in Greenville, does the uh, league go through ECU projected to win the AAC? And he said, yeah, until UCF or another school takes it away. ECU has earned the right to be the favorite. So uh, there's still plenty of baseball to be played. Knights 3-5 and five after the 6-5 loss to Stetson. There's been a bit of a shuffle in the uh, schedule. Threat of rain on Saturday, which could impact my ability to get a little running training and not to make any excuses, but it could rain on Saturday. There you go. So there we they go. moved the Liberty. It'll be a doubleheader beginning at 2 on Friday. 
Uh, you probably catch these games on ESPN Plus. And now Sunday at 11 a.m. then at North Florida Wednesday. Softball, they beat uh, North Florida 8-0 on Wednesday. Uh, they are now 10-2. and They uh, have a big one coming up with number three Arizona Monday at home. Before that, Kennesaw State over the weekend, Friday, doubleheader on Saturday. Uh, as we get closer to tip-off on ESPNU, UCF at ECU men's basketball, don't tune us out just yet. Uh, if you have not yet, be sure to listen to the uh, Sons of UCF pod that dropped earlier in the week. Another A-list guest, one Marlon Williams. Really enjoyed listening to him. Yeah, it's no secret. Marlon's one of my uh, my favorite players in UCF. <laughs> Uh, and so it was good to catch up with him. And, uh, you know, he it, it's interesting. He struck me as equal parts humble, but also equal parts uh, very confident in himself. My favorite part is when Mike asked him what he needed to improve on. And he was like, wait a minute, what do you, what do you mean improve on? Uh, but he, he was he was definitely a good a good guest. And if you're interested into how he approached this season and how important this was to him and how much it hurt him that he couldn't play those last couple of games, here's a bit of a sound bite that tells you what was on his mind as the season was winding down and sort of what his drive and focus were. I'm upset I couldn't play the last two games because I was definitely going to break game record. He's going to hold it over my head. He's going to hold it over my head and I can't get there. But I definitely, I definitely was thinking about that all year. I mean, I knew how good I was and I finally got the opportunity. So, I mean, I was trying to break records. I mean, I still, still finished top 10 in some categories, but it would have been better if I, if I could have got that record. Looking to break the records, and I think what's interesting about Marlon is we talked about the receivers coming in in 2020. We knew, obviously, Gabe had moved on. Uh, and show of hands out there and, and you know, uh, integrity test here. How many of you thought Marlon would be our leading receiver? There's probably not too many who had him with the stats he had. And I think it just goes to show the fire he had. Uh, and I just love the fact that, you know, he talked about how much he loved contact. He wanted to run people over. He wasn't he wasn't afraid of that contact. Uh, such a nice guy. Uh, kind of disappointed he got snubbed for the NFL Combine. He did not get an invite. I thought that was a bit of a head scratcher. Uh, and so hopefully he's going to have some opportunities to show what he can do in UCF's Pro Day. But uh, definitely one of my all-time favorite nights. We've been blessed with the wide receivers that have come through UCF in just the time we've been here. Going back, Sia Burley, Brandon Marshall, Mike Walker, Traquan Smith. The list goes on and on. Gabe Davis last year. Marlon Williams had one of the best uh, single seasons we've ever seen at a wide receiver, and he only played in eight games. If he plays in 12 games, he probably shatters some of these records. I wish him the best. He's a big kid. And he's talking about not knowing what he needs to improve on. To me, he's improved so much from his freshman year and every aspect of his game, especially his speed has picked up a lot. And he talked about how he's changed his body in the last couple of years. The sky's the limit for this kid. I hope he ends up another another guy I hope ends up on the Giants. As long as he doesn't end up on the Cowboys, the Eagles and the Redskins, I'll be a big Marlon Williams fan going forward. And he, he you don't want to be a winner. <laughs> none he's, of those teams win either. He said his 40 time was going to surprise some people. Now, nobody says, by the way, I'm going to be really slow this year in the 40, so catch that with a grain of salt. But he said his 40 time would surprise some people. I think that'll be a big number for him in this upcoming NFL draft. I, I, I don't doubt him. I don't doubt him. You can see his speed picking up in the last couple of years. So he's got the strength. If he can get a good 40 time, that will raise his draft stock a couple of rounds. Yeah, combine invites include Richie Grant, Trey Nixon, and Aaron Robinson as we scroll some of the items from around the kingdom. 
uh, we draw to a close here. want to thank Libby, our friend at Libs407, who wrote earlier on Twitter, truly love Thursday nights live with Sons of UCF. We appreciate Libby and all who watch. Uh, I saw Monica saying that she wasn't sure the number of people that have registered for the Sons of UCF team. Not too late to do that at the UCF Alumni Association's website. Join us for this virtual 5K. As Mike mentioned last week, and as we had the guests from the West Palm Beach chapter, benefit scholarships, but the medal is sweet. You're gonna to wanna to get the medal. Medal and a t-shirt, I think, right? I mean, that t-shirt wasn't a, wasn't too shabby. Mike had just mentioned that one of the things that taxes us on the Suns UCF live show is the wardrobe. You know, we're trying to cycle through shirts and trying to roll out shirts we haven't seen before. So uh, at least mo maybe one more shirt to the arsenal. I'm sure Michael cut the sleeves off, of course, but it's another shirt that we can uh, we can all use here. Don't forget the hat. If you join the Sons of UCF group and you have the best time, you get the hat. <laughs> and have we been going about this all wrong with the hats? Should we have just bought a Sons of UCF billboard and put it on uh, Alafaya and University somewhere? <laughs> put it on the state. All I can think of when Mike does that hat uh, is that he'd be great uh, hosting an infomercial. <laughs> like the ShamWow guy. You look like the ShamWow guy a little bit, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although he, he got into some bad stuff, so never mind. <laughs> Adam, Mike, even though you name me the cow of the week on episode 122 of your show, it has been a pleasure sharing this hour with the both of you. It is time for us to cheer on our nights at ECU. For Adam and Mike, I'm Trace Trolko for the Sons of UCF Live. Go Knights! Sports Social Podcast Network.